His skill set is so extreme, so sophisticated, that it is borderline implausible. And I think there's some scenes that are actually kind of ridiculous, how, how readily he dispatches the bad guys, how violently. But there are scenes where I think, oh, come on, give me a break. Like, he couldn't possibly, you know, he'll be in a room with five or six of the baddies, and, and you know he's going to get all of them. But the way he does it, it's like almost like a live-action cartoon. And, of course, he keeps that placid demeanor, and he'll have a little punchline there. But you know what? After four or five examples of that, I think this film is almost like torture itself. Hello and welcome to At The Movies with Mike and Marie, a show where two film professors talk about movies. I'm Marie Westhaver. And I'm Mike Giuliano. And today we're going to talk about Gran Turismo and Equalizer 3, starting with Gran Turismo. Inspired by the real story of Jan Martinborough, who played the video game, uh, got so good at it that he actually became a professional race car driver. Such a long shot. That's why I think, you know, from the get-go, that's an exciting premise, right, Matt? Well, we've had all sorts of movies now that are based on games and toys and this and that. So Gran Turismo is what I call PlayStation cinema. And <laughs> it, with, a, with a film like this one, it really is going literally from like the digital track to the real race track. And it is based on an actual story. So even if there are moments in the film we think, oh, I don't know, or oh, brother, whatever. No, this actually did happen. So, I mean, I can't I can't attest to every single detail, but this actually did happen. And so uh, and if you're a gamer, for sure, you're going to be pulled into this film automatically. But here's where I, I had some issues with it. Uh, the film has a, a running time of 135 minutes. And the thing is, um, this all actually happened. So I want to call it a quasi-documentary of sort of PlayStation quasi-doc. And the thing about it is, though, now, once this guy decides he, you know, uh, Nissan has decided to have a contest. Like, let's take a gamer and pick him as the guy to, like, do it for real. I mean, it's a great promotional stunt, isn't it? But, but you know, the guy has to do it for real, like get in an actual car. And these cars go fast and it's dangerous and all that. And the film handles that well, actually, on a technical level. But here's the problem I had. It, it's a long running time. And, and ironically, the film, even though it has a lot of fast cuts, a lot of fast editing during the race sequences, it goes kind of slack in terms of the pacing. And here's why. Because it is attesting to this man's real life accomplishments, as he gains experience and confidence as a driver, we go from racetrack to racetrack. I didn't realize there were that many racetracks in Germany. There are German, and you get the title cards. I didn't even know there were many cities in Germany. Cities I've never even heard of, but they have a big racetrack. And I thought, like, for my purposes, and admittedly, I'm a non-gamer, for, for my, and I'm not particularly a race fan, so I lose out on both counts. But um, for my money, like, it would be enough to, like, show or have a montage of two or three of those racetracks to get a sense of how he starts winning and, you know, everything is going his way and so on. But a lot of the running time of the film is like, okay, here we are at one racetrack in Germany. And that sequence goes on 10 or 15. And, and then the next racetrack in Germany. I don't know. For me, I just felt like it was stalling at that point that, that the pacing of the film was just too slow, just too deliberate in that respect. So it, it's going to culminate in a big race at Le Mans. And even I know about that track. But the thing is, by the time it got there, I felt kind of worn out by it. How about your take on it? I really thought the film was underwhelming overall. Well, not being a gamer, I I hate to, um, you know, pan the movie for that. I want to mention that the screenwriter said that he uh, used Rocky and Top Gun as influences. So, so given those two examples, I would say you're absolutely on the money because the pacing of Rocky and Top Gun is so much different. It's so economical. Where this, I feel like maybe because the audience is gamers, that the fun part is the racist. So you just try to put as many in as possible. 
See, that's the thing. If you really are the uh, the, the target demographic on this, it, it's a lot of enjoyment at that level, right? If you just enjoy watching cars go around a track, I mean, I mean, if that's your thing, and I'm not being, I'm not making fun here. It's just if that's your thing, that's your thing, and this film will satisfy. But if you're not part of that that target audience, it's a long succession of, of races. And what makes it seem even longer is the fact that the script ain't great. The script has all kinds of platitudes, all sorts of, you know, like our driver has a, a, a kind of bonding relationship with an engineer named Jack and 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 it's it works within the script it, you know the grizzled veteran and, and the newcomer and they have some banter that works but oftentimes it's like speak people speaking in aphorisms like after all my years on track here's what I've learned and you get that golden sentence or two one or two scenes with that would be enough but every time they cut to this again oh oh lord I thought here we go here's another pearl of wisdom coming from the grizzled engineer and that's the point where there's a kind of thematic overkill like I get it I know the relationship I know the, the wisdom you're imparting but didn't we get that at the previous track in Germany. Now we're getting it again. And not only was I objecting to all those scene after scene, you know, on German racetracks, but the fact that with the way it's cut so fast within individual racetrack sequences, I often couldn't quite tell like who was winning or, or, or what was going on. And that's even though the film has plenty of like subtitles and title cards to say he's, he's in fourth place now. I can read that. He's in fourth place. But I thought, well, who's in first place? Or, you know, how much longer for this race? Or how long's the course? I felt it was so chopped up in some of those sequences. I couldn't begin to tell you what the actual race was like in terms of how big a track, how many people in it. If you're in fourth place, does that mean that's good or bad? You know, I'm getting at like at a basic logical level, it didn't mean much to me. Well, I did want to mention that the David Harbour character you mentioned is not Jack Salter character. It's not a real person, but an amalgam of different real life characters, which is which is fine. But they make a lot of that character in that sort of, you know, don't let down the father character while you are trying to pursue your dream. You know, he's counting on you. He believes in you. So there's a like an external character that they're seeking approval from that works on an emotional level, but it's also kind of manipulative and a little bit obvious about it. One thing I did think was super cool, though, I want to make sure I say, there are scenes where you go from being watching, you know, being in the game itself or being watching the character playing the game to him actually driving the car, which is the whole point. You know, he's so good at this simulator that in the car, it's he's, you know, drawing on the same skills that he's learned playing the game. But there's also a wonderful scene where he's racing the car and you see, you know, with the CGI and stuff that they do, the car fa falls away. And he's in front of the game. He's, you know, tapping into the skill he had with the simulator. So going back and forth between those two things, I thought that was really cool. You make two good observations. First is that that sort of amalgamation of a character that that can be convenient from a scripting standpoint. You know, this engineer is based on various real life people. But you know where it's dangerous is he has suddenly a lot of symbolic importance. He mm -hmm. will voice all these sentiments, right? So he, he's he's a mouthpiece for all this. And that's where it gets really heavy handed. But I agree with you also in your second point there. I, I really did like those sequences where he's driving along and the POV shots are, you know, they're compelling sometimes. Like if you're actually at the wheel, what you would see. And I know it's CGI and all, but I, I'm, I'm pulled into it, right? But the fact is I'm pulled into it, then the film will very astutely actually quickly cut back to him like at, back in his bedroom playing the game how he was as a simulation driver but going from simulation to the real thing there are moments that work really well that way and, and i think if i were a gamer that would be like like for me it was interesting as a gamer i'd be really excited but i want to go right to my bedroom you know console and start playing some more so the film has that kind of promotional value there can you imagine how many people who like this film are going to rush out and that's what they want for christmas 
You know, the other reason I thought it probably was very effective for fans of the game is I have a friend who used to play Flight Simulator all the time, and he was also a pilot. And so I did ask him at one point, does it really help? I mean, when you're in the plane, does it, you know, is it enough like the simulator that it feels, you know, like legitimate practice? And he said, yeah, it actually does. There's so much out there, so many aftermarket airport, you know, scenes that you can use. You know, you can you could simulate, you know, landing your plane in Dubai as well as, you know, BWI or a small, it's just really, uh, once you get into that little world, apparently it's a lot more effective as a training tool than I would have dreamed. I also wanted to mention, because it's so cool, that the actual person the story is based on plays a stunt double in the film for the actor who portrays himself. Don't you just love that detail? I love that detail. You know what, I though I don't want to watch this film again, ever. (laughs) (laughs) What I would find interesting would be somehow like excerpted to have like individual scenes or shots where they could say, okay, here's the actor, here's the real guy as the stunt double. That would be neat, wouldn't it, to actually say, oh, in this shot, you know, that's the real guy doing it. Watching the film, and to the film's credit, I I couldn't tell, and I, I was aware of this going into the film, but watching the film, I couldn't have told you who's who there. And that's good, actually, that it's very convincing. Now, one one movie it made me think of that was more fun, that was about a game, was Ready Player One, because that felt much more like being on a ride. And I did not feel like when I was watching Gran Turismo that I was in the car the way I did with like Ford versus Ferrari. Ford versus Ferrari is a much better film. And, 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 you know, we talked about that some time ago. It's really, it's a well-made film. It does pull you in that way. There are individual scenes, as you and I just mentioned, where you do feel like you're in the car with him. But for the most part, I felt like I was in the stands um, mm-hmm. watching the race. And there was a, a perhaps, and you make a really strong point here, that, that there's uh, arguably too much distance between you and me as viewers and what we're watching there. I was too detached. And not just because I'm not a gamer. I just felt like technically the film keeps us at a bit of a distance for a lot of it. Now, it is directed by Neil Blomkamp, and I know he's done movies like District 9, and I think he's a really interesting guy to watch. But the thing that I associate most with him is he did this short for the BMW series of short films, The Hire. And his was actually after they did the first group. I think he got to do 20 minutes instead of 10. And I've shown it in my class because it's just this amazing explosion of destruction of all kinds of vehicles. You know, there's just uh, vans and cars and helicopters and all kinds of stuff gets blown up, you know, to amuse us. And he does great with that filming action. So I was excited that he was the one who was going to direct this. And like you said, I think he hits it at some points, but overall, I agree with you. If they could have cut out 10 minutes just to bring it into two hours, I think that would have helped it a lot. Well, the essential story is really basic. I mean, there's not there's not a whole, whole lot of elaboration or much needed in terms of this guy's family upbringing in, in Wales, and the family doesn't particularly want to see him go from gaming to, to the real thing and so on. But yeah, I get all that. And, and then once he's on the track, how he learns and gets better, how he bonds with this engineer character we've talked about, you know, that you can deal with that, I, I would say, like in, in 90 or 100 minutes. Keep it sleek. Keep it fast. Keep it moving. When you dawdle too long, you get too many platitudes in the dialogue. You get too many racetracks in Germany. It's just drawn out too much. And that's a really bizarre irony in the film, because if you just excerpted an individual race here, you might say, that's really exciting. Look at all the fast cuts from here to there. And But then you know, as you watch then that race and then the next one, it ironically slows down, doesn't it? It, it, it? For all the fast cuts, it actually slows down. Well, let's address what everybody's really wondering, which is what people, some people will watch car races for. And that is the inevitable car crash or multiple car crashes. In terms of that, you know, setting it up that, you know, this is really dangerous. You can't just let anybody do it. 
you know, the stakes are really high. Once you've laid that down in the first reel, you have to deliver at some point the worst case scenario. So, Mike, how did you think they did in terms of the disastrous shots? This is car crash cinema. And when you mentioned the director before, uh, you know, but, but imagine that, you know, that as, as a filmography, like what's going to be your next car wreck film? And, and, and he, he's good at staging that, but I don't know how much future there is in that. Now, admittedly watching it, you know, some of the crashes are pretty spectacular. And, and, and am I enjoying that? Well, maybe that's a, a strike against me, but why do people go to the track? You know, mm-hmm. this is part of the, you know, human nature, I suppose that, you know, you always are quick to say, oh, no, I don't want anyone to crash. But then the moment there's a crash, it's like, whoa, look at that. Uh, And the film has quite a few of those look at that moments. And again, in the actual staging of them, they're very convincing. And and some of them are not, quote unquote, funny at all. They're frightening, actually. And and yet we keep watching, don't we? So that says something about us as as human critters. But the film itself is not going to dwell on that point. In other words, thematically, that's not on the agenda, is it at all? I mean, we know how dangerous the sport is, and and he gets injured, too, in in, in one of these things. So we know the stakes here, but but the film doesn't dwell on that unduly. But that's part of the, of the experiences that you're going to have car wrecks. And again, the director has the technical expertise to make them very convincing. I mean, I thought, oh my goodness, I not only don't, I really don't want to even watch that particularly, but I wouldn't want to be in the stands even watching it. Do you, I mean, do you watch something like that, that while you're eating a hot dog? I mean, you know, how do you, how do you respond to this? <laughs> I think you uh, just hold your breath. I don't think, there, I don't think you can swallow anything you brought is snacks from the concession stand. Because, you know, you're on the edge of your seat. Those are some of the most exciting scenes, though. Obviously, that's supposed to be that way. Also, because one of the underlying themes is, you know, your parents don't really think that you're going to be able to make a go of this. So, But they're watching while you're doing this incredibly dangerous thing. And um, I did not notice at first that the person playing his mother was Ginger Spice. That was kind of a, a fun extra thing. There's a few moments where you're like, oh, that's, do you think Orlando Bloom did himself any favors, by the way, by being in this movie? Well, you know what? There, there are some recognizable actors as family members and others, and uh, they don't get enough screen time to like fully engage us as characters, right? I mean, you know, they're they're fine with the roles; they they do their jobs. But but the film again is so focused on the racetrack, as I suppose it should be, that the fam like his family members back in Wales, they register pretty strongly in the first few scenes, and then they disappear for almost the whole movie. Mm-hmm. They show up at the end at Le Mans, to, to, you know, to finally support their son that way and to be there for him, and so on. You know that they're going to be cheering and all that. You get those cutaway shots, but. There, there are some other secondary characters who kind of come and go. And uh, as I say, they, they don't really fully register. And, and so uh, you should do one of two things, like either really develop those secondary characters rather than another visit to a German racetrack, or, or maybe even cut some of them loose. Like, do you even need some of those characters? I, I think that's something at the scripting stage. We have to make some rather draconian decisions. Do we make more of this character or less of the character? So, you know, one thing I wanted to mention also in terms of people who go to see this because they're gamers. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting to watch visually was the way the guy outsmarted the game. You know, he played the game Gran Turismo so many times that he realized that actually if I follow the line that they're encouraging me me to do in the game, if I do something slightly different, if I put the line somewhere else and follow that, I can actually get ahead. And then he tries that in real life and they kind of show that to you visually. I thought that was a good thing to put in there, that it was his being able to outsmart the literal game that he actually took into the real world to try to outsmart that game. Yeah, the film has some smart moments like that. I mean, mean, that's a good observation. The other thing about it is that to put in the time you would that he put in in the game to learn all those things on the track would not only take a really long time, but be incredibly dangerous while you were learning it. 
even though it's a real story that you kind of wonder about it sometimes because like, gee, would you even survive your first race? That's a fast learning curve. <laughs> yes. And I don't know if you remember back to all those years ago when we all took driver's ed, they had simulators and they were terrible. They were nothing like being in a car. But I think today they're probably much more sophisticated that, that a I game would, so. would be would actually be yeah. a more viable form of training. But that being said, I don't think everybody who plays flight simulators should be able to fly the 747. Yeah, Marie, you really, you've raised a disturbing thought. Like from now on for pilot training, all you need to do is, is use PlayStation for a few hours and then you can take to the skies. <laughs> I don't know if I want that pilot particularly. No, but the pl flip side of that is that it may be that we have so many gamers in our society that people are more capable of taking over a plane that's about to crash because the pilot, something happened to the pilot. Maybe, maybe all there, there's more people on the plane who have more skills than we ever imagined. But I don't want to be so in that. Either. <laughs> but when you're boarding the flight uh, on the side of the airplane, is it going to say PlayStation? I mean, that'll be actually no. on the side of the airplane. No, and I don't, I don't want to see like a somebody who's underage actually piloting the plane. Just yeah, your 16-year-old <laughs> pilot who's really good at the game is going to be our pilot today. Actually, there's a whole conversation we can have about AI doing it, but that's for another show because we need to talk about the Equalizer 3. And before the show, you said, you know, there's only two words to describe this movie. Denzel Washington. <laughs> there, there, and there actually are two reasons to watch the film. The first one is Denzel Washington. The second one is the Italian scenery. The thing is, uh, are they enough? Uh, barely enough. Uh, the number I would emphasize actually isn't two, but three. This is Equalizer 3. How much more can be done here? The first Equalizer goes back to 2014. We know the basic formula. Uh, and this is where Denzel Washington is really good. And yet, and yet, you know, he's he, in this third film, he's relaxing. He's trying to be retired or semi-retired. He's in a nice little Italian village and so on. Off to the side, he's enjoying his, his uh, he wants tea, but they keep giving him various <laughs> Italian coffees. Uh, anyway, that, that that's kind of amusing. But anyway, he's sitting there and without going into all the plot details, you know, he's up against the Camorra. He's up against the Mafia. And and here's the deal. Now, these are genuinely bad guys. These are not just villains, but sadistic bad, right? So whatever happens to them, they deserve. There's not mm -hmm. an ounce of sympathy for the bad guys. But here's where the film is grading. It really bothers me. He's totally justified in, in wanting to protect his nice, quiet village life and to protect his friends and neighbors and fight the mob and so on. His payback, his revenge is so extreme that it's every bit as sadistic as what the bad guys are doing to to, to his character and, and, and friends. And so I know I'm meant to sympathize, but after all, what it became for me was like a really protracted vigilante movie, scene by scene, all the really ex extreme, really graphic violence, not just on the part of the bad guys, but what he would do back, compounding that. So I feel like I'm watching a vigilante movie where I should be cheering him. Saying, compounding that and really bothering me was his skill set is so extreme, so sophisticated, that it is borderline implausible. And I think there are some scenes that are actually kind of ridiculous, how, how readily he dispatches the bad guys, how violently. But there are scenes where I think, oh, come on, give me a break. Like, he couldn't possibly, you know, he'll be in a room with five or six of the baddies, and, and you know he's going to get all of them. But the way he does it, it's like almost like a live-action cartoon. And, of course, he keeps that placid demeanor, and he'll have a little punchline there. But you know what? After four or five examples of that, I think this film is almost like torture itself. I mean, it really just kept going on and on with that. Where do I take refuge? 
I watched every moment of the film, but my eyes occasionally would wander from, from the violence in the foreground to the pretty postcard images in the background. I took solace or comfort in saying, gee, that's a really wonderful Amalfi Coast town climbing up the mountainside. And, and that's sweet. I actually enjoy that. But then when you realize there's nothing more to the film than that, that's the real, the, the most bothersome thing. You don't get anything more really in terms of his character, you know, what's going on in his life, whatever. It's just a blank face. Admittedly, it's Denzel Washington's face, but there's like no real development. And so I'm hoping, and a lot of people have said this about the film, let the third one be the final one. I just can't imagine like, what would you do beyond this? It would just be more of the same. Well, I think what you've described is the John Wickification of movies. And I have to say, when I saw this, the theater was pretty full. And it was, you know, opening weekend. So people were excited to see Equalizer 3. And I think you know, there was a lot of chortling at a lot of the uh, violence. People were buying into, you know, be outraged. And then, you know, you get the catharsis when you see this guy get his own. But I will say it started off so violent. I had brought a sandwich with me and I'm holding in my hand thinking, I, not, not now, not, not now. This is definitely not a movie you could watch while eating pizza. It is extremely, extremely violent. Now, I think that that's some of what some people go to see, like they would be disappointed if they didn't get it. That's what I said about the John Wickification. Not only is it outrageous and implausible, but the violence is really over the top. Well, you know, when, when 2000 years ago, you go to the Coliseum and the Christians are being fed to the lions <laughs> and that's why you go and you mm -hmm. have your sandwich, you know, on panini. I mean, you have you have your Italian meal there and you enjoy it. I, I mean, I mean that, that's, you know, it says something about the human species, I guess. But if you're the uh, target audience for a film like this, that's why you go. You want it to merit that R rating and, 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 and you go to enjoy that. In my own case, there were a few times where I, if I enjoyed it, it was just at the sense of staging. Like, you know, I'm thinking... And this is on technical terms. I'm thematically trying to put out of my mind that there's a lot of blood and gore and this and that. Just like, okay, gee, this guy's on a motorbike, that guy's on foot. You know, what's the choice of weapons? That's at a kind of mechanical stagecraft level of how they're going to pull off this, this stage combat, if you will. And the enjoyment there is just simply in terms of what I call expertise between the actual combat and whatever CGI does. Just the fact that, you know, it actually is rather seamless. It works quite well just in terms of the staging of it. But, you know, again, I don't want to sound puritanical, but after watching a few scenes like that in the film, particularly very early in the film, I just thought enough already. And uh, But I knew that there was still a lot ahead. And at, at that point, I, I, again, I just think, you know, the, the villains are grinning. That's a bad sign. They're about to do something bad. And, you know, he's sitting there having his cappuccino, whatever, and, and he's going to look up and then he's just going to very quickly dispatch them. If you really honestly treated that for what it was worth, it'd be a 20 minute film. Right. But but, you know, this goes on for 109 minutes and, and that's not excessive running time, but it is excessive thematically. The film is spinning wheels after a while. It has nothing more to say about him or about the situation. If you judge it just as a vengeance genre film, does it work better? Like if you're not thinking it's supposed to be a more complex equalizer character and it's got Denzel Washington in it, but it's just going you, for the vigilante movie. If you take it at that level and that's what you want, it will be totally satisfying. You'll take the spouse and kids, you know, you bring the whole mm -hmm. family. You'll have a sandwich and popcorn and all sorts of things, and you'll have a grand old time. Uh, and actually, at that kind of primal level, it works. Antoine Fuqua, the director, is no slouch. She knows how to make a, that kind of movie, and it delivers. That's what you're asking, actually. It, yes, it delivers. If that's what you want, that's what you get. If you're a fan of Denzel Washington thinking about the overall career, there's enough of him almost in every scene, right, that it'll be satisfied just to have his presence in the film. If, if you love Italian scenery and who doesn't, yeah, as I said at the outset, that, that will satisfy. 
But uh, again, would that be enough for you? Well, Denzel certainly, you know, when you look at the overall career, people are not, when they when they look back on his career, they're not going to say, ah, and then there was the Equalizer 3. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it doesn't have that kind of punch to it, right? But but he's really, really smart in this role. But you know where I found it kind of depressing? Of all the movies he could have done, that he did this one. Well, I, I'm sure they made him a um, an offer of money that was very hard to... Uh, he couldn't refuse it. He couldn't refuse Plus, maybe he wanted to do one more before he felt like he couldn't possibly do another one. And, you know, it, it does try to frame the idea of, you know, and this would be where he stopped, you know, his life of crime. But of course, you know, they always suck you back in. But I know the actual reason for it. I, I'm being humorous, but I know the actual reason was, you know, you're 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 talking to your agent, you're talking to the producer and so on. Well, you know, it involves staying in Italy for a few weeks. Uh-huh. And in a lot of the scenes, all you have to do is sit at the cafe and sip your coffee. I'm like, yeah, I could do that. I could, I could do that. I, get a, I, get a big right. paycheck. I don't have to even pay for my coffee. And I and you know, I get a big paycheck. Sure, I can do that. Now, I, I don't want to make you nervous, but you said, you know, how many more uh, are they going to make? Well, apparently there was some discussion about having a prequel, and here are the three options for Denzel Washington's character. Either one, de-aging Denzel Washington, two, cast Michael B. Jordan as the younger version, or three, cast John David Washington, Denzel Washington's son, as him younger. What do you think? You know they're going to try one of these. Those suggestions all make me nervous. <laughs> I don't want to see any of those. I want something else, anything else. But, you know, if I were thinking like a producer and I'm looking at the, the grosses and how the film does, and it does have an audience, those are all possibilities, aren't they? I mean, I'm not encouraging any of them, but but I'm allowing for them that that would work. But we'll keep that between us. We don't want that to spread further. <laughs> Someone might actually do it. They might. All right. I also wanted to mention that this was the first time in 15 years since Man on Fire that Denzel Washington worked with Dakota Fanning. So in the last couple of minutes we have on the show, let's talk about her character. What did you think of, first of all, the character and secondly, her portrayal? Both the character and the performance are flat. Um, There's really not much to say. So, so you want to say more? (laughs) Well, actually, yeah, I'm I'm a little surprised. I thought she was, um, I thought she held her own. I thought she seemed smart and not like just a fill-in character. I thought I thought she actually I could see them actually making the next movie, The Equalizer Five, whatever twelve. She it could be about her character because they really just well, kind of started with her. Let me then- be kinder. Yeah, I'll, I'll be kinder. That, that she's one of the good guys, okay, and and, and she's going to learn from him. And they're wary of each other at first, like who are you exactly? What's going on here? And this, and they'll become they'll become colleagues. They'll work together on on these cases, to helping go after the bad guys. And that works well enough. The reason I said it was flat as a character is that's pretty much it for her as a character. There's not really much that would go deeper with her in terms of background and personality and all. So it is kind of flat. The performance, I thought. It worked well enough, but it was, for me, it was kind of flat. I, I and and I, I'm not blaming her as an actor so much here because the film tends to cut to her as needed. You know, it's that mm-hmm. kind of a movie. So she'll disappear for ten or fifteen minutes, and then she'll pop up sitting at her console, looking at the computer screen and making phone calls and all. And then she's pulled in. But you know what? That'll be a three-minute scene, right? And then it just cuts to more mayhem uh, on the Italian shoreline. So, um, so I'm, when I'm being kinder here, it's just that I don't think in the script there's too much to her character, and I think in her performance she does well enough with it. But, but, but there's nothing particularly outstanding. But, but turning that to advantage in the sense that you're suggesting, if they were to make further installments, plausibly and, and quite um, promisingly, in a way. I have her character become more foregrounded at that point. And then it might not be quite as flat as either character or performance. So yeah, I, I can see that. You're you're turning me into a nice guy. I'm becoming a good guy now. <laughs> All 
All right. So in all of the mayhem at the end, I thought that they really wrapped things up so quickly. My head was spinning. It's like they ran out of money. So it's like one more scene of mayhem and then like a really weird twist that I we're not going to give away. But just last thought about that ending, Mike. Uh, it was a hasty resolution, which I was thankful for because I wanted to get out of there, too. But, but the, the sense was they wanted to get out of there. And all joking aside, you feel like the, the, this is the third and maybe final one, whatever. Like, OK, let's wrap this up. Let's get out of here. And, and actually, it's better that than a protracted, drawn out finale. Right. So, you know, let's be on another rooftop in, in Italy. Uh, no, I, th- I thought it was good, actually, to make it quick. But but I, I see your point. It was maybe too quick. Don't you think it was like like so hasty, so conveniently hasty? Yes, conveniently hasty. That's a great way of putting it. Well, that does bring us to the end of this episode. But don't forget to check out our other podcasts at atmhcc.podbean.com. And we'll see you next time at the movies. See you then. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Media Podcast.